Hey all, and welcome to Level Up. That's right, one of our favorite classic podcasts is back. And this time, it's hosted by Kyle. You know him for his insightful and really thought-out perspective in video games. He's bringing it to Level Up, and it's just a perfect match. Now, Level Up is going to continue to be here on the Geek Freaks feed, a new episode coming out every month. But we're also moving it over to the Pushing Buttons feed. Pushing Buttons is leveling up itself and going to have their brand new podcast coming out monthly over there as well. So if you guys want to just get some of that Pushing Buttons content that's focused on just gaming, I can't suggest it enough. It's going to be the very top link in the description. So go click over there, subscribe, and then do us a solid and leave a review, letting us know what you like about the episode and what you want fixed. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello, welcome to Level Up, a new video game podcast, part of the Geek Freaks Network. This is your host, Kyle, and today I brought on our Discord moderator for the Geek Freaks Network, Scott. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Kyle. Nice to be here. (laughs) It's been some time. How have you been? Uh, You know, just been uh, looking for something entertaining to do, like I think everybody in the game world. Oh, I know. I mean, lately I've been keeping myself... Uh, you know, preoccupied with the Dead Space remake and all that stuff. And I'd love to discuss that in detail so at some point. But uh, yeah, uh, playing anything interesting lately or just take it easy? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's interesting, but I've been playing uh, Life is Feudal, Your Own. Oh, okay. Which is an old game uh, that came before an MMO that wasn't very good. I mean, it was it was good for some people. <laughs> we'll say that, you know, I mean. Uh, everybody's different. Um, but for me, it's just, it's a time killer game, really. Uh, you know, it's all about just building and fighting and stuff. It's, it's whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've been killing a lot of time with World of Warcraft lately, getting my grind on, getting through those mythic plus keystones and heroic raids, trying to get my epic bow that I've been dying to get. Still no luck there, but I'm trying as hard as I can. Yep, I I see you and Taff, you know, chatting up in Discord about that bow all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it is a pain in the ass, but that is another topic for another time. Because for this level up, for our premiere episode, we're going to be talking at length about Cyberpunk 2077. And, you know, for me, this was a game that I was eagerly anticipating leading up to its launch. I even built my current PC to play this game. However, when it came out, it was just such a bug-riddled mess and glitchy as hell. It was unfortunate that we couldn't get the game that was originally envisioned by Cyberpunk. Or, excuse me, CD Projekt Red. I have played a number of games uh, where the hype kind of ruined it because it's, it's always hard to live up to those expectations. So I have, in recent years, taken a much more a pessimistic cynical approach to these things um <laughs> understandably you know like i mean we had mountain blade banner lord which i understand at the time was more of a niche audience right like i played the original mountain blade and the next ones um so a lot of people were like i don't even know what banner lord is they hadn't been waiting like i don't know seven years for it to come out um to then be That's honestly pretty disappointed by it um or you know Star Citizen, right? I hopped on the Star Citizen train early. I didn't give them money, right? Because I didn't. Bl- I was like, I'm not gonna give you money for nothing. But uh, 
you know, and it's like, I mean, where has that really gone? How long has it taken it? So I, I come at, come at, came out much more cynical. Um, and also I had no idea what cyberpunk was. I just knew it was these commercials with Keanu Reeves in them, you know, and everyone was going crazy about it, but no one could really tell me what it was. So I was just like, whatever, there's a game coming out. Maybe it'll be good. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, for me, for myself, I found out about Cyberpunk when they released that first teaser trailer way back in 2012. And this was right on the heels of Deus Ex Human Revolution coming out. So I was really buying into the Cyberpunk setting and really enjoying it for what it offered. And, you know, fast forward almost eight years and we finally get it in December 2020. And, you know, the game just released with a bunch of problems and that put me off from even playing it at the time. And it wasn't really until last year in September when the anime adaptation came out, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. I watched that and I was immediately just sucked into the world and I really wanted to try playing the game because I've heard reports like over time with patching, the game actually became playable and not even that, but it was actually really good. So that was how I got into Cyberpunk after two years of not playing it. So, uh, for me, I, you know, obviously I heard it came out and had all these problems and I was just like, yeah, that's why I don't buy into the hype people. <laughs> I learned my lesson hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, this was your time to get burned. Um, and I think it was like that for a lot of people. Now I, I do hope. And although I don't, I don't, I don't know if we've necessarily seen it happen yet, but I do hope that with this game, you know, cyberpunk and fallout 76 and, you know, the industry has kind of went to a trend of release a very bare bones, half broken game, um, for money and then like fix it and then charge money for DLC, you know? Um, so it's not like back in the day where when you bought a game, it was pretty much done. And any Very DLC yeah. or expansion was usually pretty significant content. Um, and so hopefully, you know, seeing CD Projekt Red just totally bungle this launch, um, you know, maybe woke up some companies to say, oh, consumers are learning, you know, and I think that's <laughs> always important, you know, because we just kind of let it slide. They were like, oh, well, I mean, you know, if it comes out, like, I'll still play it, even though. I know I'm going to have to spend $50 in DLC next year to really get the full story, you know? Um, yeah, I, I saw it come out and I was like, yeah, that sucks for all the cyberpunk fans. Although I was more looking into it then because of course it's 2020 and everyone was looking for something to do. Yeah. During the pandemic. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. It was the big hyped release of 2020. Like this is what we, a lot of us were looking forward to me in particular. Like I was sold on all those trailers and demos prior to the game's release, you know, during the Microsoft press conference when Keanu came out and, you know, <laughs> was wowing everybody with his appearance. Like I was so buying into that. And for me to just get bit by the hype bug and just, you know, totally fall from grace while trying to anticipate this game. And, you know, it really did affect me. Like I was really looking forward to it and it really taught me a valuable lesson. Is to not buy into the hype. Instead, wait for the full release and then gauge it from there. And I think we should get into that at this moment. Start talking about the game in particular. So to start off level up, we always do the tutorial phase. 
And in this phase, we always have our guest, which is you, Scott, do a one minute summary of the game as best as you can. <laughs> it's a tall task. All right, it's such let a huge me get game. ready. But I got the timer ready. And when you're ready, just go ahead and start talking. I'll hit the timer. All right. In uh, three, two, one, go. Cyberpunk is a futuristic open world action role playing game. You take the lead as Johnny Silverhand, also Mercenary V, and you'll play through a wide ranging story across an entire city, Night City, the only free city left in America. And you will try to discover the origins of Johnny Silverhand and the notorious V and try to take on large corporations like Arasaka Corp. Um, Wait a second. Oh, man. I don't even know how to fill all this time. Oh, ah. You'll have 15 seconds. Romance, romances, <laughs> action, character customization, skills to learn, people to kill, money to make. And, and that's all, folks. There you go. One minute. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So basically what you mentioned and a lot more, because as we played the game, why does this keep going off? Dismiss. The timer was <laughs> like, give me a jingle. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, yeah, well done. I think that was a pretty well-rounded summary of the game. And, you know, you brought up a lot of character customization. And I think that is a huge role that you as the player immerse yourself in as and you can easily expand all of your customization options for your character not just in the character creator but also how the role-playing system is integrated into the game but we'll get into that in level two but for now we're going to go right into level one which is the story all right so as you mentioned uh, we followed the life of v he's a mercenary he wants to make a name for himself. And I think a lot of these open world games, that's typically what you do as the character himself or herself. You have to go out there and stake your claim on the open world and take control of it. But with V in particular, he has a really big problem come up where he dies pretty quickly at the beginning <laughs> of the game. And he gets a biochip sent straight up his spine or neck or whatever with an engram of Johnny Silverhand, who was an anarchist, terrorist, rocker boy. And the constant struggle between the two characters is what drives the plot forward. I think for myself in particular, I really enjoyed this aspect of the game's story because you have two different colliding characters. And because of their battle of wits, per se, it leads to a lot of memorable game moments. How about you? So I think, um, you know, there, there's actually quite a few levels to this, this storyline. I mean, obviously there's, there's the story, but then there's the motivation for the story, which like you say is, you know, the Johnny Silverhand V thing where, uh, yeah, it's a chip that was designed by one of these corporations and it's basically to create immortality. You know, you upload your consciousness into this chip and then you put the chip in someone else's body and you take over their body eventually. Um, but as we see, 
uh, with V and Johnny, um, you know, the Keanu Reeves character that it's not quite that simple, you know, um, maybe if you had like a clone with no sense of self, right. But to put it in an already living person, um, those personalities clash, they collide. Uh, and you know, V wants to do things however you want to do them, the player. And then Johnny Silverhand is his own consciousness who he can't control what you do most of the time anyway. Uh, but he's, he gets upset, you know, when you do something he doesn't like, he's like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of potential for your character in relation to their origin story as well. Cause you start off in three different backgrounds. You can pick street kid, which is the one I picked nomad. And I believe you picked the corpo backstory. If I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah. I went with the corpo yeah. backstory. Sorry. I had a scam call there. Oh, you're good. Um, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> Just like in but, cyberpunk, you know, yeah. all those scam emails that yeah. you get in your inbox. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, and I also wanted to point out, too, right, like Johnny and V. You know, obviously it can depend on you as the player, right? You can constantly tell Johnny, no, I don't like you. You know, you can like fight with him constantly. But I, I think naturally, uh, if you play the game as just a normal person would in a situation like this, you and Johnny learn to coexist to a point um and you may not always agree with him but you understand where he's coming from and he does the same with you and there's actually a relationship built between these two consciousnesses inside one human being and by the end of it i don't think you know by it's supposed to supposed to be one of you's got to go that's how this ends there is no other way and i think by the end of it neither one of you really wants to see the other one disappear. Maybe you don't Indeed. want him in the same brain as you forever, but you feel like, you know, <laughs> how can I be the one to destroy this other person? Yeah. Cause at that point in the story, like you've both been through this journey together, V and Johnny, and you are coexisting in that Ingram and, you know, who ultimately gets control of the body. You know, it feels kind of like, I can't relate to this, but having a twin and losing that twin, it's like you lose a part of yourself when that twin is gone. And I imagine that's kind of a similar situation between V and Johnny Silverhand. And we see that in each of the individual endings that you can pick for yourself. Like one of the most compelling endings for me was the Johnny ending where he gets control of the body because he tries to do the right thing and pass on his legacy to the next generation of rockers. And that was really cool to see for myself. And I, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, see, I actually, um, I went with the nomad ending, uh, because I felt like, you know, I've built a relationship with this faction of people. And of course, you know, built a relationship with the, uh, I forget Pan the name. Pan Am. Right. With, well, you know, Indeed. I built a relationship with Pan Am in that tank. Um, I think we all did. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> You know, they they seemed upset that I would even consider going by myself. Like, I thought we were in this together. And I was like, you know what? We're, you're right. You know, and I think that um, as, you know, people, we struggle with, we want to be very independent, especially like as Americans, you know, we're, we're very independent minded, but it's when we come together, we can actually make change happen. Absolutely. Yeah. The Nomad ending does show that really well. That was my original ending, but. I actually went back and wanted to experience each of the other endings because I loved the game very much, like up to that point. Like 
I had to see everything the game offered. And I'm really glad I did because it gave me some additional insights into each of the characters and their motivations for making their decisions in the end game. Like, uh, I don't know if you felt this way, but there were certain segments throughout the game's story where you actually play as Johnny Silverhand in flashbacks. And I thought that was a really great addition to the game's story because it allows you to see his point of view and relate to him more as a character. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, and, and you actually go through kind of a little, a little roller coaster where at first you're like, you know, it's just him busting into, you know, this corporate tower and just being Billy badass. Um, and you're like, yeah, Johnny Silverhand, rocker badass. Right. And then you, you go on, you see him, you know, kind of treating people like shit, uh, you know, drinking drugs, like, and you're starting, well, actually, you know, Johnny's kind of a dick, you know? And, and that was when I, as V was kind of clashing with him, like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be taking advice from a person like you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on, there's, there's a redemption, you know, and, and you see tragedy happen to him and the way he tries to kind of answer that injustice, you know, um, and maybe you don't agree with his methods, but you can at least understand his motivations and so there, you know, it, it's got, it has a very, very human aspect to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think having those segments in addition to seeing a bit more of Arasaka's involvement and their role to play in the story, you know, mainly through the eyes of Takamura, who you interact with, you know, pretty early on in the game. He's pretty much, you know, I can't think of the word. <laughs> But like, uh, <laughs> he's not willing to be your partner in crime, but he's kind of forced to in a way because he fails to get rid of V, you know, after disposing of his body and they, you know, have to kind of team up. They're forced to. And over the course of the game's main story, they kind of get, you know, chummy and, you know, they get like a buddy cop thing going on, which is really cool as well. I really like Takamura's character a lot. And seeing his growth, you know, after being betrayed by the corporation he devoted his life to and trying to win back their favor to get back in line with them. Like, I thought that was a really cool story to see play out as well. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, obviously, you know, when it comes to these corporations, we all often think of them as just like faceless entities. Unless if you're, you know, a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk, where you are <laughs> the face of a corporation. But, you know, like. Walmart is run by the Waltons. I don't know what any Walton looks like, you know, um, but you have to wonder if, yeah, there's, there's factions within Walmart and Walton family members that have different views of where the company should go. And that's kind of what happens here. And I think that Takamura, even though he is, he's betrayed by a faction of the company, but he's still loyal to the faction he thinks is doing the right thing, you know, mm. um, like the, the, I guess you want to call the CEO, the owner of the company, um, you know, dies and you have a brother, sister, basically like civil war over the company. And Takamura is loyal to the company at the end of the day uh, and, and the family. So even if that means, he has to go fight another member of the same family. That family, that one's not, has not been loyal to him or the, the, the company's legacy. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I I really like Takamura, and I'm not sure what upset me more was when I thought he died, or when I found out that I could have actually found and saved him. That happened to me as well because I, you know, you get to that point in the story, and it seems like you know he dies in that portion, and you know Johnny Silverhand's like, we gotta get out of here, we gotta leave the building, let's go, let's go, and. There was no like objective marker saying optional, go rescue him. So I just walked out of the building and I actually lost out on that ending because of that. And so I watched it on YouTube instead. And, you know, that's just one of the aspects of the gameplay that, you know, was less than well received by me. <laughs> well, there's you know, a lot I of think, less um, objective bugs and stuff like that. I, I think that was intended, you know, oh, because... Really? Yeah, I because I feel like at that point, um, it kind of separates people, you know, of what what would you do in that situation? You're you're pretty sure Takamura is dead, and like I believe like that building was on fire and there's, there's a lot you know, going on. Yeah, yeah there's Arasaka guys people everywhere. spawning pretty much constantly to come kill you. And yeah, Johnny's like, We gotta go, we can't stay here. And so as the player, you're just kind of like, you freak out and you're like, yeah, I got to get the fuck out of here. You know, I got to (laughs) go. But (laughs) if you calmed down and said, no, I'm going to find, you know, I'm going to make sure he's dead. You know, you can do that. And he's not. Um, So I I actually, although it, it frustrated me at the time, I think it's, it's actually a really interesting idea um, you know, cause we see games do this all the time, right? I remember back in final fantasy seven, um, like somebody's final weapon, you can only get in an area that you're running through on a timer. So, you know, it's like, a, I don't know, a bomb's going to go off or something. So you only have so much time to get out of here. And if you go down this one side path, you can get so-and-so's final weapon, but you're in a hurry because you're like, Oh, I'm on the clock kind of thing, you know, and, and you see games do this <laughs> and it pisses you off. but. You know, it's it's just one of those things that I don't know. Kind of once again brings out the very human aspect of our, of you know a human nature. I think that's also one of the main reasons why I enjoyed all of the story content in the game is because it did emphasize like the disconnect between you know going fully cybernetic or preserving your humanity and not going into augmentation. And you know, a lot of the side quests of the game also kind of elaborate on that and. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there's several side quests to me that, you know, kind of stood out over the main story itself. Oh, yeah. And that's, um, I mean, I don't know if this falls under story or more gameplay, you know, or well. Oh, yeah, true. We um, can probably go into that in gameplay. But, you know, yeah, I, I liked that compared to, I mean, the first ones that always come to mind are, are like Ubisoft games, right? Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, which we all <laughs> love them. We all play them. Uh, but, you know, you, for me, I'm very, whatever you want to say, I'm OCD or, or, or whatever. Um, when I look at my map and there's a bunch of markers on it, I have to get rid of those markers, you know? Exactly. So yeah. I put the main story on hold and I go do every side mission, whatever the hell. And some, you know, sometimes games are like, oh, you can't do this side mission until you get this item in this other area. And I'm like, I hate you um, because now <laughs> this marker is stuck here. Um, but, you know, usually those side missions are all generic, right? Uh, go to the base, kill all the guys. Uh, go to the tower, kill all the guys. Blow up the tower. Uh, you know, 
get to the tower, climb to the top, get the viewpoint. And, you know, it's all the same. You do it 30 times throughout the game. Uh, and the next yeah. game, you you know, the next Assassin's Creed or the next Far Cry, you do all the same stuff. Whereas Cyberpunk, there were the, like, police broadcasts or whatever, which were pretty much, there's gang activity in this area. Kill everyone, find the contraband. All right, cool, easy. Let's just kill some people, find some money. Um, but most of the other side quests were actual stories, which I found to be really engaging. You know, it's not just you show up and do the same thing for the 20th time that day. You show up and, and there's a story and it's in a different location. And, you know, it's, it's not all so generic. Mm-hmm. The reason why I bring that up is because I hear a lot of complaints you know, generally from reading online stuff or Steam reviews or whatever, that the story is really short. Like it was only 40 hours in this 100 hour plus game. But to me, I actually tried really hard not to blow through that so quickly. Like I took my time, like you mentioned, like trying to get every single marker done. And that involved the side stories as well. Like to me, that was like an all encompassing way of playing the game, which isn't the usual. Because a lot of people, you know, they don't have a lot of free time, so they just go right through the main story and then call it quits. But I think if you play the game that way, it's almost a disservice to the story itself because it seems like the story takes place over a pretty broad length of time. And if you were to do all that in one go, in one shot, I think you're really missing out on a lot of the compelling narratives as, you know, the side quests pile up. Yeah, and you know, I think that's honestly kind of a nonsense complaint. I mean, you know, how long is Skyrim really if you just do the main story? How <laughs> we, long is Assassin's Creed if you just do the main story or yeah, or yeah. Far Cry or really any of these open world games? You know, if you want a, you know, 100-hour story, then there's a a different genre of games for that, you know. Um go play a JRPG where Exactly. It is just story. Yeah. It's a it's a story game. That's what it is, you know. Um, but an open world game like this, it's all about kind of making your own choices and doing whatever you want to do. And if you don't want to do side quests, I mean, that's fine. That's your choice. You don't have to. You can just do the main story in probably 10 or 12 hours um, if you really wanted to. But yeah, you're selling, your, you're selling yourself and the game short because there is a lot more to experience out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Uh... You know, as myself, I love to get as much done as possible before moving forward the story because then it opens up new areas to explore. And I think Cyberpunk really did that extremely well. You know, looking at the world map of the game, it is gigantic. Like you can't help but feel overwhelmed when you're first playing it. But as you get through a lot of the NCBD contracts or buying a new vehicle or buying a new apartment and getting kind of invested in the game world you really start to feel more vested in it and i feel like as a character in an rpg that's that's huge for immersion like i was really pulled in by the game's aesthetic but we can get into that in level three but i think for the story it just really helped it breathe more helped it become bigger than life yeah and i you know i think it does a very good job of yeah there's the story but there's always other stories you know, I mean, yeah, you're V against, you know, the corporation, but also 
near V who found the random monk whose brother had been kidnapped by the people installing cyberware in him. You know, like, I, you know, I mean that like that one sticks out or you're V trying to talk down the suicidal news reporter, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, things happen, you know, life is like that, you know, you never know. I mean, sure, you go to work today, but who knows what will happen on your drive to work or or at work or when you go out to dinner that night. You know, I mean, the world is more than just a storyline. And even then, like as V, you know, while you're playing him, you have a lot of growth that you experience for both Johnny and V, because as you're getting these different perspectives that are clashing with each other over whether it's ethical to do the engram which Arasaka developed and pushed out. And then you also get the perspective of the antagonist. Um, Trying to think of the name. What was his name? (laughs) Saburo Arasaka? Yeah, I can't remember. There's so many Arasakas. All I know is Arasaka. Uh, Hold on. I actually saw him as the main villain of the game, more so than anybody else, like Adam Smasher, for example. Yeah, I mean, Adam Smasher was... You know, just that guy's minion, basically. <laughs> you know, I mean, he wasn't even that hard to kill. So, you know, for a long time in the period of the game, uh, Sora, no, I can't remember his name now. What is it? Saburo? <laughs> uh, this yeah, is bad. The, the dad, the Saburo. dad is Saburo. Arasaka. His son is Yorinobu. Right. And then the sister is Hanako. I believe. Hanako, right. So Yorinobu and Hanako are kind of at odds because the son kills the dad right correct yeah in the beginning of the yeah, game. yeah the son kills the dad the sister's also in town so it's like a big you know to do of who's gonna run arasaka corp and you know there's arasaka turning on arasaka and then of course there's you and takamuro you know back uh, uh, off of the wings you know everyone thinks you guys are dead anyway uh and you're trying to pick a side base well takamura picks a side for you but <laughs> Essentially, yeah, as V, you're kind of stuck in this crevice, like trying to steal, I believe, was the original biochip that is later injected into V's skull with Johnny's engram on it. And while you're in that area with Jackie, Yorinobu kills Saburo, his dad, and takes control of the company. And, you know, throughout the game, you're led to believe that he's the real antagonist. But at least for me, I felt like, uh, Saburo was the actual antagonist. And you see that later on when his own engram comes back and kind of takes control of the company yet again through Hanako, or if you get the neutral ending through Yorinobu's body, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean that, that was the whole point, right? Saburo, Spro didn't want to not be in charge. He didn't want to die. You know, that's that's really the the core of the whole story is Saburo's search for immortality. And I mean, he found it in his own way. Um and you know it, Yeah, I mean, because for me, you start out, right? Uh, and yeah, it seems like the the son is gonna be the problem, right? And he kills his dad, he, he's got Adam Smasher, and then your best <laughs> friend dies, you know, try to get out. Um and now the whole world's after you over this chip. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, Sabro is like still actually there, you know, kind of pulling the strings, the master puppeteer. I think uh, taking all that into account, I think the story was effective 
in delivering its central conflict of, you know, do you actually have humanity or is it something you can pass along via technology, like a soul? Like, can you actually move that forward and into the future, right? Become immortal. What, is that still truly you or is that somebody else? And we kind of see that with V and Johnny Silverhand's struggle. Like, you know, who's really the owner of the, of V's body? Yeah. You know, that's, um, that is a deeply philosophical question. Um, and, and I think it, it boils down to, uh, are you a soul or are you just a series of electrical impulses in a brain? Indeed. Yeah. I th- and, and, you know, you'll, you'll make of that <laughs> what you will, you know, can, can you just be a consciousness downloaded into a computer and uploaded into a robot? Or is there something more, um, intangible to what creates what you, who you are? absolutely and and obviously that's kind of an unanswerable question for us today i think (laughs) but it is yeah it is definitely you know there's there's a lot of layers of the cyberpunk story that you can get into and and i think it does a very very fantastic job of of showing that i agree yeah i think if i were to grade this uh you know specifically for this level up premiere episode what we do is we give each stage a score out of 30 points and you can, you know, choose to give it whatever you like. Uh, for myself, I feel like cyberpunk story is about a 28. I, I really enjoyed it. I was really pulled in and I was really taken in by the characters and I was really, you know, just immersed and invested in each of their progress and their character development. Um, so I, I'm willing I'm willing to go the 28 more so because I feel like the story wasn't over and that bothered That's me. true. Yeah, it does kind of end and it doesn't really give much so, of an ending. Yeah. I mean Yeah, and there's there's actually, you know, you can do the whole storyline and when you go to like the storyline percentage completed or whatever, like it's not oh, 100%. It's not? Okay. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, on mine on mine I have like a 60% Johnny Silverhand oh, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Mean. Yeah. Um yeah, like there's there's a you know the game clearly tells you this story is not over, which is probably what DLC which we'll is see for. Um, with uh, <laughs> Phantom Liberty later this year, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Other than that, you know, I'd get I wouldn't even be against giving it thirty. I, I think it just it with in the storyline. I think it does a fantastic. So thirty from you? Around. Wow. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give it a no, thirty. No, I, I agree. I I mean, I gave it a twenty-eight because I felt like it could have been. I mean, we can compromise on a 29. No, we each have our own individual scores. That's how the show works. (laughs) Oh, we have our own score. Yeah, okay. (laughs) For me, I just, you know, it's a great story, but it's not the all-time best story. That's why I gave it a 28. But I I still loved it regardless. Um, Let's see. Now we're going to level up on into gameplay. So uh, let's jump right into the basics of gameplay. So being an action RPG, first-person shooter, like... What did you take away from this? Did it do anything drastically different to be special? Um, so I actually didn't shoot shoot much. Um, I went with oh, a okay. sword ninjutsu, build. right? Um, the, yeah. the katana build. Um, I like to jump around and run around and just just cut people up. Um, 
you know, for me, I I've found a lot of frustration in recent years with, um, you know, games make their controls with controllers in mind, but I'm a PC player. I have a controller. I use it for some games, but I like to just use my mm. mouse and keyboard, especially with an FPS, because I hate trying to aim a gun with a joystick. Um, so like for Elden Ring, for example, I had to change mm. a bunch of controls. I really enjoy Elden Ring, but it was, you know, control set up for it, it, it's like when they make the controls, they don't even think about what a PC player uses for controls. You know, some game they're like a uh, shift is jump. No shift is run. Shift <laughs> is always run. What are you doing? You know, and cyberpunk, I didn't have a problem with that. You know, the controls made sense right off the bat. Um, they weren't trying to do anything terribly fancy, you know, uh, like, like in an, an Assassin's Creed game where you have three different modes of mm. four buttons, right? So it's like, oh, if you pressed shift Q, you do this. And if you press control Q, you do that. And it's like, dude, I got like 128 keys here. Okay. <laughs> so help me out. But it's because it's based on a controller design and a lot of ports do that. And it really frustrates me. Um, and I, I feel like the controls were, were pretty solid. They don't do anything revolutionary, but they, they keep it simple and intuitive and you can just kind of hop in the game and, and use basic controls that PC con- games have been using for, you know, 30 freaking years. Yeah. Myself, I used a controller. <laughs> I always tend to do so with AAA releases and, you know, from my experience, I felt like overall it was really easy to play, really easy to pick up and just kind of relax to. Like it helped, you know, kind of pull me in more because it just feels natural to control your character in the game world. I myself, I specced into Assault, which was the, I think, the shotgun specialty, as well as uh, pistols. I did that. And then I also specced into athletics. So I was constantly jumping around like a Doom doom slayer <laughs> yeah yeah that is the most frustrating skill to level in the entire it is, game yeah, it and was tedious. really hate cd project red for it <laughs> yeah it definitely took uh, a bit of the fun out of grinding the character to i think it's level 20 is the max for athletics it does take a long time but you know over the course of the game you know it does come naturally over time and you know near the end it kind of got a little grindy with that in particular but yeah, you know, I um I have 162 hours in Cyberpunk um and most of that is one playthrough. I I've kind of like went back and dabbled here and there, but that's maybe 15 hours, you know. So so we're talking like 150 hours through my first playthrough of the game and uh I think I'm like level 6 oh, that's athletics, all? you know? <laughs> like yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. Well, I I mean for a while I was just running mm. everywhere it's like well i gotta get athletics up so i'm not gonna drive my car i'm just gonna run and jump and swing my fists at the same time and i was like you know what this is pissing me off so i'm just gonna drive my Which, car yeah um and yeah the athletics it never got very high at all and and i think that's one of the things that does bother me pretty hmm. immensely actually i mean for myself i really enjoyed it because by the end you know, I was able to do double jumping with the uh, cybernetic module that you can equip. Yeah, which those yeah, I want to talk about as well. I think the mm-hmm. uh, the the rip the ripper dock 
stations that you can choose to implant yourself with various abilities. I love that about the game and I wish it was more flexed out, but what we did get on offer was pretty fun. Like one of my favorite things to use was the gorilla arms uh, for your fists. Cause you could really like go into melee mode. Like again, like a doom slayer guy and just, you know, ooh, ooh, <laughs> I'll punch everybody to death. It just really made it for an awesome time. Yeah, and if if you're doing those, uh, if you're doing that boxing side fun. quest, you know, I mean, you got to have the gorilla arms. I know. I love the particular side quest for that boxing arena thing, where they're like twins and they both came at you at once, and then you just beat them up, and then they're just like whining the whole time, like, "Why did we lose?" <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "We're not twins. We're the same person in two and bodies." So it's like, yeah. what in the world are you? <laughs> You guys are crazy, and I'm gonna now kick the shit out of you. Yeah, they're like, "How could we lose? It was your fault. No, it was your fault. It was our fault." Like, I don't know. There, there. It was weird. It was crazy. But uh, like with your build with ninjutsu, you probably chose the invisibility one. I presume. Uh, no, actually, I I started out like oh, I'm gonna sneak around, but um, then I was like, nah. You know, I just kind of built for mobility. Oh, okay. Um, and and um i went into body you know so a lot of health and like damage reduction and stuff so i i was like i like melee weapons i like magic you know i i like more skyrim-esque related games than fallout games right because you know guns i'm not i don't know i i don't get it i for some reason i don't particularly like fps's except for far cry for some strange reason and even then it's only every other far cry but um you know like to to just be hopping around right because you know you can use all the different buildings and crates and you know uh food stands or whatever you know there's all kinds of stuff in the city it looks like a city just a cluttered big city and you know they're running around with their gun trying to find you, and I'm jumping over the building and then running around the corner and stabbing them in the back, you know. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was really fun, you know. Like I brought a sword to a gunfight and I won, you know. I would. I was going to say, like, I think uh, we can move into the next level real soon. But I think overall, with the gameplay, it it doesn't do anything exceptional or remarkable, but it does get it right. I feel like the only issue I really had playing the game was sometimes the handling of the vehicles wasn't really, it was kind of sluggish and not easy to maneuver, like maneuver within the streets themselves. Like some of the bicycles I thought were really <laughs> terribly designed. Right. <laughs> um, like for, for me, myself. Yeah. The Caliburn was my go-to. That was the best car. Yeah. A lot of the vehicles didn't just didn't feel good to drive. Um, I went with, I forget what it's called, but it was like, it was like the nomad car. Hmm. Um, I, I'll look it up in a sec. Hold on. Let's see. Uh, uh, you know, like it, cause it had the off-road ability. It had pretty good handling. Um, I think I know which one you mean. It was the one coyote. of the ones you get from. It, yeah. 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 Uh, the Mizutani Cheyenne Coyote, you know, <laughs> which I mean, looks terrible, you know, I mean, I guess if, if that's kind of like, normally I like the sleek you know like uh, ferrari type sports cars and stuff but uh you know that one just felt great to drive you know it would just fly down the road it could take a turn most of the cars felt really terrible to drive yep. and the yep. um the mini map with your gps on it was it was too small 
Like it wasn't zoomed out enough. You couldn't uh, anticipate turns. It was like as the turn came into your view on the map to, you know, hey, turn left here. Um, you were already passing it, basically. True, or you had yeah. to slam on your brakes and slide into a car to try and get to the turn. It was like, it, yeah, the, the driving, I feel, was not very, very well designed. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, as you get further in the game, you get more used to the layout and the design of the streets themselves. And, you know, by the time I was getting near the end of the game, like I had memorized a lot of these locations and that helped a lot with, you know, anticipating those tight turns. But I definitely agree. The driving could have used a lot more tuning up, you know, make it easier to navigate Night City because it is, you know, really daunting to just be dropped in the middle of nowhere in this city and expect to know where to go. So it's, yeah, I agree. That's a bit of a damper on the experience for sure. But, you know, as far as everything else goes, I think the UI was great. I didn't really have a lot of problems with it aside from saving and reloading my game. There were times when it would kind of glitch out on my Steam version. But other than that, I didn't really have a lot of uh, glitches or anything involving gameplay. It played itself, basically. Um yeah, I mean, if we're if we're talking about bugs, um, you know, I I picked up the game on on the Steam Summer Sale in July 2021, so I guess roughly what six or seven months after the game came out, uh, which I think was kind of the first big update where it was like it's pretty fixed, it ain't perfect, but it's it's playable, you know. So I don't know how bad it was before that, but I didn't. I had very, very minimal problems. I had like one side quest where, you know, you're, you pick up a body of, I think just like someone knocked out or something. You're supposed to put them in the trunk of your car or whatever, or you're saving someone. I don't remember, but I remember picking up a body and the natural progression of the level is like, you're right next to a balcony with like a broken rail. So you would like jump off and then put the body in your car and, and leave the area. And, um, when I jumped off the rail, the body got stuck on the balcony. Like it just fell out of my arms and was just T posed on the balcony. <laughs> um, so, so I had to like go back inside, go around and then I couldn't pick up the body. So I had to reload the quest and I tried it again. Like, well, maybe I'll jump, you know, I tried different things. Um, and it just got stuck. You, I couldn't get the body off that balcony. I had to walk it back through the building. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice some like screen tearing, but what I found interesting, and I think it's it's kind of funny, and I've seen it with the games, you know, we've all played those games where the first two hours are really fun. Oh, yeah. And then it kind of gets boring, and mm-hmm. we all know it's so that you can't get your Steam refund. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And I, I noticed that in Cyberpunk, if you, like, just, you know, hit the main storyline first, right, and just kind of get to the point where you you die and come back to life which is what I consider really like the prologue or or act one, right? Um, Which is about two hours. You can do all that in about two hours, I'd say, if you're not bothering with side quests, right? Um, And that whole first area of the map, if you are doing side quests, that first section is is really polished. I didn't run into any bugs. I didn't run into any graphical tearing or anything. Indeed. Um, I was like, why are people complaining about this game? I did have bugs especially quest related bugs show up more as the game went on uh because there was another one where i think i was i i was waiting for someone to get home i think it was 
the friend, Johnny Silverhand's friend. I don't remember. Uh, but like I found their car stuck on the side of the road and I literally had to like push their car back to their house <laughs> to get the quest to trigger. <laughs> so I was like I in my car probably, uh, shoving their car. Carry Uridine's car is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I think I was, I was, yeah. Shoving it back to his house. So there are bugs or at least there were then. And I'm sure there are still now. Um, but I, I struggle to hate on it because I mean, so does Skyrim and we all were like, Oh, Skyrim's the best game ever, but Skyrim is full of game breaking bugs. I have definitely had to reload whole sec, you know, whole portions of a dark brotherhood quest line because <laughs> something broke towards, you know, around one area or whatever. Um, so obviously there's not points in their favor, but I do think that if the game had come out in a different year with less hype, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. I definitely to be perfectly think, honest. Yeah, I agree. I think the game needed at least a year or two before being playable. And, you know, myself, I played it nearly two years after it came out after I think it was called the edge runners update 1.6. And the game was pretty solid for the most part. Like it felt playable. I didn't have nearly as many problems as, other people did probably on launch or similar to yourself. But uh, yeah, I think it could have used more time for sure to kind of iron out those game breaking bugs and glitches. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously that can happen. Um, but I guess when I meant like, you're like in 2020, we were all angry, you right. know? So, and we were all bored and everything had been <laughs> delayed and <laughs> cyberpunk comes out to, you know, after years of hype and uh, I've, I, you know, I understand people felt let down. And of course, there's also the phenomenon of one or two people experience a bug and post it on the internet, and all of a sudden, it's a game-breaking bug that everybody's experiencing, but they're really not. It's just like those two people did something, you know, different, and, and things happened. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen bugs on, you know, Skyrim or Fallout or, or whatever, Far Cry, and I was like, I've never had that happen to me, and I've played the uh, hundreds of hours of those games. And I don't know anyone who that's happened to, you know, but it goes on the internet and it's all of a sudden, oh, the game is shit, you know? <laughs> so I think, I think it was just a very unforgiving time for a game that could have been more polished, but was extremely hyped. You know, it just, I don't know. I think it got, I think it got treated worse than it deserved. Oh, by far. But yeah. uh, hopefully, you know, consumers and companies can kind of like learn their lessons from that. Indeed. And I think uh, going off of that, if we were to rate it today, as opposed to back then, I think you'll see, you know, for myself, I, I really enjoyed the gameplay of cyberpunk. Yeah. It wasn't perfect. It didn't do any, anything new. It didn't do enough, you know, innovation to really set itself apart gameplay wise, but it was still easily enjoyable. I had a great time with it. I think I'd rate it personally a 22 out of 30 because there are certain aspects of the gameplay that, you know, aren't really compelling. They don't really do anything different. You know, it's what's expected. And that's how I feel out of gameplay. How about you? Um, uh, let's see. So I'd probably give basics like a seven out of, you know, if we were like break oh, okay. this up into sure. 10, yeah. 10 point things. I, you know, the controls don't piss me off and that's, that's a pretty big win in my world, uh, but don't do anything special. So I, I bring it probably a seven, uh, you know, the option menu map shops. Yeah. I mean, kind of the same, right? Like the basic UI, 
it doesn't piss me off. It doesn't do anything special. Um, innovation. Did it bring something new to the gaming industry in this? Um, I mean, I think the cyberpunk universe is pretty cool, but I don't think the, the game design, like the combat or, or whatever really did anything terribly different. I think it played it pretty safe. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'd probably give it like a 20, a 20. Okay. Yeah. I, it, it's very safe. It's very comfortable. And I like that, but I mean, it, in these respects, it didn't really bring anything crazy, you know? Yeah. It didn't um, really push the envelope as perhaps the Witcher three did in 2015. I think that's its biggest comparison really. And, you know, going off of that, like, let's talk more about the level of design in the game and presentation. And that's where we're going to go to next in our level, in our next level up. Let's start off by just openly discussing the presentation and design of Night City itself. I'll let you take the first crack at it. So I, I think uh, this is really where cyberpunk stands out. Um, except for in like when you're, when you're out on the street, you know, you're driving around, you're running around and they were hit on it before. Uh, yeah, there's, there's like, I don't know, eight different generic NPCs that walk around (laughs) and that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that kind of ruins your immersion, right? Where you're like, yeah, I saw that guy and well, there he is walking right there. Um, and that that lady right there is the walking next to her twin. Everybody's twins at Night City, apparently. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna have to knock him some points for that, probably. But overall, I like the the culture. You know, I see the world of cyberpunk, and maybe this is more a shout out to you know the actual cyberpunk uh, IP that the game is based on, and maybe not so much CD Projekt Red, but they did portray it very well. I thought I'm sure cyberpunk world fans have different opinions. Um, but for someone new to the IP like me, I see night city as like a realistic future. You know, um, I, I, I can see a world 50 years down the road where, uh, that we have corporate wars, you know, corporations are so powerful. They're making war with each other for resources to make more things, you know? Oh, totally. Um, yeah. And, and governments are kind of sidelined and kind of a joke, you know, and, and to just kind of exist at the whims of a corporation. Um, and, you know, cybernetic parts, you, you know, we see people that are as, as they would say, chromed out, you know, like their, their whole body is just a cybernetic part at this point, you know, they're like metal plates and stuff. And I mean, that's something people would do, you know, like it's, it's very realistic and very human. And, um, yeah, I do agree with that. I think, uh, you know, seeing the variety that's presented in a lot of the world's NPCs, even though they're off repeated when you're walking along the streets of night city, uh, taking that element of corporation, uh, control and representing that in the visual depiction of night city like you see the biggest buildings are those corporation based entities and the verticality of night city is truly breathtaking like driving through you know 
middle of downtown Corpo Plaza and you see these giant uh, obelisks and depictions of corporate. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to find here? <laughs> corporate uh, overlording. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a better term. You know, you, you see that visually depicted in the game world itself. And I think that's such a fabulous way of portraying night city is that these corporations are truly at the top above everybody else in human society. And, you know, as you get into other areas such as Pacifica, you don't see that so much the case. Like you don't see that huge verticality represented. You see it often the distance and, you know, that's what really struck with me playing the game was each of these different areas having their own visual art design and their philosophy towards the culture of Night City in cyberpunk. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you start out in this high rise, you know, uh, apartment building um, and high rise is not used as a, a flattering term here. I mean, <laughs> You know, we're not talking New York high rise suites and stuff. No, we're, I mean, this is just, I mean, it's a tenement really uh, would be a better word for it, you know? And I mean, you leave your apartment and there's like trash on the, on the uh, walkway and um, you know, just people kind of hanging out with their, you know, their alcohol and their drugs or whatever, you know, like it's, it's very much a, a city of vice, you know? Indeed. And, uh, you know, poverty and homelessness runs rampant in the area of the city where you live. And yeah, you know, you go more towards the center of the city, uh, where there's, yeah, the corporate headquarters and things are a little cleaner. I mean, not so much in the alleys, but at least the sidewalks and there's not, you know, the, the poor homeless people all over the places. Um, you know, the cars are nicer. The people look a little better. And then, yeah, you, you go, you leave the city. And it is a very much a West Coast city, right? Where all of a sudden the city just ends. You're in the middle of the desert. You know? Yep. In the Badlands. <laughs> and that, that's how <laughs> it is out there. Um, and, you know, now you're, yeah, it's just like ramshackle kind of desert towns. Uh, or you can go up into the hills where the elites live and there's plenty of space and rolling green hills because they can afford to water their grass every day. And, you know, um, <laughs> nice big houses with gates, you know, I, I think it, it really does represent, you know, an American, a major American city very well. They captured uh, that very well. They, I agree. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's something that, that we can relate to now with our cities today and see like, yeah, I could see my city looking like that 50 years from now, you know? Yeah. I, I definitely think uh, a lot of the, like a lot of the developers time went towards building night city. And that's why, it kind of suffered in other aspects of the game, but you know, just night city itself, it's a living, breathing, breathing city. And you definitely feel like you're a part of it as you're playing the game. Like there are many times where I'm just, you know, driving in the badlands. I just look over to my right or my left and I see night city off the distance. And it's like, that's an incredible feeling. Like the game is often overlooked in that regard. I feel like, and you know, to me, I really enjoyed those somber moments of like, you know, walking through the alleys of Night City and seeing death and decay in the streets and people suffering at the very bottom of society. And it was really compelling to me as a street kid player because I had that backstory where Jackie 
Wells, my main cohort. He ends up dying near the beginning of the game because he had the same dreams of rising to the top as I did as a player. And so I feel like I have to live for him. And it just kind of all blends together that way really well. Yeah, and say me as a, a corpo, you know, <laughs> you know it, it's like you can, Corpo I mean, you know, obviously you're, you're not starting out at the top, but you know, you're, you're a pretty high up, you know, corporate person, um, seem to be pretty well off. And in an instant, it all just gets taken away from you because somebody higher up in your corpo decided, uh, fuck you, dude. I, you know, that like, that's really all it boiled down to is you just, you just kind of backed the wrong horse in a little corporate, you know, uh, feud. And now you've, you've lost everything and suddenly you're at the bottom with everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, to add on to that, I think a lot of the different cultures that are kind of a result of night city being what it is. Like you see that in the audio soundtrack, like all the different radio stations you can listen to, as well as all of the news media reports or the commercials that you're subjected to while walking in night city. Like I felt like that was really a neat tool for conveying, you know, the high amount of chaos in the city and how it's a constant bombardment of, you know, corporate controlled interests. Like you're constantly being subjected to that visually because you're driving through the city, you see it everywhere. And I thought that was really well done. You know, when they developed the aesthetics of night city, I felt like it really contributed to that theme of corporate controlled corruption of the human soul. Oh yeah. You know, and, and even like, um, you know, your very first mission where you're, you know, saving a woman who's been kidnapped by, uh, you know, people that want to take out her cybernetics and sell them on the black market. You know, I mean, you go in there and you kill people, right? <laughs> you, you go in there, you, you break in, you kill people. And like the police don't come after you. No one cares. Nope. You know, a, a corporation has hired you to save this person. And then a medical corporation comes in and, and takes her off your hands, you know, and the cops couldn't care less, you know, like it's, it's very much, you know, we know who's running this city and it ain't the mayor. You no, know? definitely not. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, because obviously for cops to come go into a place and do this would be, I mean, completely unacceptable. Um, and it shows how easily a corporation would rather just pay a mercenary some money to do a job than to even deal with the police, you know, or any government entity. Like, we don't even need you. Right. Um, You're disposable, basically. Yeah, you know, and and then, yeah, you know, you, you get back to your apartment and, you know, just going down the elevator. I always thought it was so funny. You know, you're on your elevator to get downstairs from your apartment and the whole elevator's full of ads. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's just ads everywhere. And it's something we see now, you know, the Internet is just kind of unlimited ad space and and you can make money based on how many people just come look at your website, you know. Uh, but there's still a physical world where, you know, people are always trying to find new ways, you know, Hey, let me pay you $20 to put my business name on your car, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So you see this in a very, very exaggerated, but I mean, very realistic sense where there's just 
everything is ad space, you know? Yeah, it's represented everywhere you go, no matter how far you try and get away from Night City. Even in the Badlands, it's still kind of there with the billboards. Like, it's a constant oppressive force to your character. Um, Going off of that, go like taking all of this into account, like, what would you give, like, the graphical design or presentation of Cyberpunk out of 30? Um, okay, so I think as far as like level design, which we didn't get to talk too much about, but you know, you go into a lot of buildings and it, it's not like that normal, you know, like cookie cutter dungeons, right? You know, Skyrim has, you know, a handful of dungeons. They put a couple of tweaks on them and, and that's what you get into Every game throughout is, the whole game. Yeah, guilty of that to a degree. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. You know, um, Cyberpunk really did spend the time to make, you know, each mission in each building is a different building um, and it's a different layout and there's going to be, there may be traps, there may not be traps, there may be cameras, there may not be cameras, you know, like everything's, everything is very, very uh, individual mm. compared to that just usual generic, you know, copy paste level design, you know, that you start to realize throughout a game. Um, so I definitely have to give them a lot of credit for that. I think the character design is is obviously pretty pretty good. Um and the cutscenes are pretty good. Um but definitely yeah, I, I unfortunately I feel like they when it came the time to fill the streets with people, it just felt a little lazy. Yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of uh circumstances where the night city itself is vibrant and beautiful to look at but there's not a whole lot to do in it. And I think that's the main drawback of night city as an open world. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you go into a crowded place where there do happen to be crowded places. Cause there's not a lot of them, you know I mean? Cause you're thinking this is supposed to be a major city and you kind of want to see those crowds of people walking on the sidewalks, like a New York city almost. And it's really not, which makes it even more noticeable when there's two of the same character model within sight of each other, because they're probably the only two characters really around. So yeah, there, it just feels very empty at times or you go into a crowded area and everyone just kind of looks the same. Indeed. Yeah. So that, I think that is really the only, the only thing I would kind of dock points on there. Yeah. I, I think myself, I think I'm more inclined to give it like a 20 actually, because as beautiful as Night City is, I just feel like there's not enough to do in it. And as far as audio and character design goes, like I feel like it doesn't do enough to stand out. But it does offer a lot of different clashing ideas when it comes to corporation versus society. And you do see that visually represented in the city itself. So I, that's my score. I'd give it a 20. Um, I think I'm I'm a little more generous. I'm, I would give them a 25. 25? Okay. Um, because I do think the, you know, characters with names, I'll call them, you know, the generic ones walking around on the street. Okay, you know, y'all could have made some more of those, but you know, the the characters that you meet throughout the game, you know, that you talk to, that you interact with, I think are very very well done. They have very distinct personalities. They have backstories they have motivations for things that they do that that make sense um 
and they're very well, you know, they look good, right? They, um, and, or even I was, was pretty impressed by when you go to, um, that club that you end up going to a lot, you know, and the guard out there is just, you know, the, I forget what they're called, but they're a gang, you know, and they, they look pretty distinct from everybody else, Mm. you know? Um, and I think, you know, obviously you have the, the one gang where just, I mean, there's just like metal parts in their face, you know, like (laughs) the red optics and stuff, you know, like I, I think that when they tried, they did a really good job. Mm. I just think there are places where they didn't try or didn't go far enough basically. Yeah. 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 You know? Um, so I, I definitely see what they did and I appreciate it. And I just also see where, uh, you know, probably just crunch time got to them. Uh, and, and it was, you know, kind of the last things on the list, like, Oh yeah, we just need to create pedestrians, you know? <laughs> um, or, Oh, Oh, and the, I'm terrible with names, but the, uh, the limo service AI. Oh yeah, Delamine. I mean that that's a, yeah, that's a pretty amazing. I enjoyed yeah, those I mean, quests I had a lot. A great time with him, you know. Yeah, Delamine was great. Um, I loved that a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, all the named characters I I felt were really really well done, and and things that were supposed to be very much individuals were very individual. It was just the the overall, you know, just driving through Night City for the sake of driving through night city or just walking around on the streets to get from point A to point B was very, very lackluster. Indeed. Yeah. As far as the people walking around and, and interactions, you know, the, the world does kind of feel very static. It very much does. I agree with that. So for, uh, our totals so far for story, gameplay and design, you are currently sitting at 76 and I'm at 70. So now we're going to go into our bonus level where we do some last minute adjustments and we get an additional 10 points that we're going to give to the game for whatever we want. So uh, to fix your score, what would you change and why, or did you have fun during the game? Up to you. Go ahead. I very much liked the freedom to build my character. Uh, I really liked, you know, I really enjoyed this game. Um, and I know, you know, I would get a discord at, at you guys, you know, the, it would just come up in topic and people would be like, yeah, I haven't bought it yet. And I'd be like, you guys are really missing, missing out. Like, you know, get off the, Oh, I hate, you know, cyberpunk train and just like play the game and enjoy it because it is very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is great. You know, the, the combat is, can be what you make of it. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do, but I can see where it gets repetitive. And unfortunately, I mean, that just kind of plagues games like this. Uh, I think my, my two biggest pet peeves with the skill system is of course the athletics grind. And I struggle with not going into, um, what's it called? Crafting. Oh yeah. Crafting's broken in cyberpunk. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And, and it feels very necessary. It does feel necessary. I agree with you that. You know, so it feels like anytime I think, well, maybe I'll play again. Maybe I'll, you know, use guns or, or, you know, like I'll build like a sniper net runner build, but it's like, okay, but like 20 points has to go to craft, you know, <laughs> is kind of yeah, how I'm, I'm feeling. And it's really hard not to do that. And so I feel like if you're going to have a game with a crafting system, the crafting system should just be accessible without having to put all those skill points into it, honestly. Um, 
or don't limit us with skill points. If halfway through the game, I decide, you know, I want to be a, a net runner now, then, then I should just be able to start putting points into it and not worry about it. Uh, they sort of fix that, you know, now you can, you can pretty much respec, I think pretty much free. Um, you could respec before, but it like cost a bunch of money. Yes. Yes. So, you know, you might've got to a point in the game where you really don't even feel like respecing anymore. Cause you're already, you know, almost done. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't like these limitations. These just artificial limitations that games try to put on people. Like if I want to be the most badass, you know, net running, sniping, shotgunning, assault, <laughs> rifling sword master. Okay. I should be able to do that because it's just a game. You know, I, I, I and then also I'd like to craft super awesome gear to use for all those things, you know, uh, because the, I will say like the merchants, you know, going on buying armor and weapons is pretty lackluster. It's usually things you find, things you craft. That's the best stuff out there. Um, so there's not very good replacements for crafting. It's not, you can't play the game without crafting cool stuff, but like, why would you, <laughs> it's kind of where I come from, you know? So in regards to your bonus points, how are you awarding those or are you not at all? So I think I think I'm going to give them five. five. Okay. Just kind of a middle of the road. I really appreciate a lot of aspects of the game. Um but I've I feel like I've been pretty generous with those aspects already where we were scoring them. Um and there are definitely things that I dislike that I'm gonna, you know, pull points back for. Yeah, I, I think for myself, um I'm only gonna give an additional two. And that's mainly for the weapon variety. I feel like they did a really great job with introducing not just your standard assault rifle, pistol, shotgun, whatever, sniper rifle, but having different types of those weapons alongside that. Because you had power weapons and smart weapons, and I think there were like tech weapons as well. And they each had their own oh, like yeah, special yeah. bonuses that applied to the weapon. I thought that was really cool. It wasn't flushed out enough for me. But if there is more to come in Phantom Liberty DLC, I would love to see that expanded upon. I think that's got a lot of potential. And in regards to why I didn't give the extra eight points, I felt like you were, like you described, hard locked into your character. You couldn't really experiment very much without having to make a big sacrifice down the road. And having a hard level cap at 50, I felt like it didn't really encourage experimentation and it kind of held your hand a lot in a lot of places which i didn't like as well but i felt like net running in particular was a big letdown like it wasn't fun to use wasn't fun to play with and the whole brain dance thing i felt like just got in the way of the main story like those sections weren't fun to play <laughs> at all yeah yeah i definitely get that um i mean we know frank yes uh, i know frank got to that point and he thought it was going to be just like a major mechanic throughout the game, which really it's just, it's just that first section of the game. Once you get the chip, I don't think you really ever have to do that stuff again. There's a few more, but, but it's not yeah, as they, long as that first main story mission. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they spent a lot of time on it. Um, and it did, it really slowed the story down. And if you're Frank, who just wants to like blast through a story real fast, um, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely see that, you know. Indeed. Yeah. And, 
you know, taking all this, you know, in context, I feel like those aspects of the game just hamper the overall gameplay and enjoying the story and enjoying night city as a whole. And, you know, going into, you know, the final section, the boss battle, our totals are now at 81 for you, Scott, and 72 for me, which is really surprising because I really enjoyed the game, but it does have a lot of glaring flaws. I think can't help but be addressed when gauging the quality of the game into the boss battle. So, uh, cyberpunk in summary. So pros and cons, I think for me, the most surprising, uh, aspect of the game was that I graded the story so highly over the gameplay and the de- presentation designed the game. How about you? Um, I, I, I've, uh, I've definitely had a lot of time to think about it and, um, I'm not super surprised by anything. Um, I think, I think what cyberpunk really focused on, they did really well with, um, you know, the, the story is, I think very, very relatable, uh, it's very organic, you know, it, it feels realistic, you know, um, <clears throat> and that kind of goes into the world building as well. I, I really, really enjoy the world, the way they've built the world and how it just feels to walk around and engage in. Um, but yeah, the, the things, it just really feels like they got lazy in some places and, or like I said, maybe it was just that crunch time. Of, Indeed. You know, they just said, yeah, we'll just try and fix that later, you know, uh, which which I think is is a really, really big swing and a miss. Oh, for sure. I think uh, for myself anyway, I really enjoyed V's voice acting because it really pulled me in to being V and having the different backgrounds that you choose yourself, like similar to Fallout New Vegas. You can kind of choose your background and, you know, choose which way you want to proceed in the story with whatever faction you went online with. I think they represented that well in cyberpunk with choosing which corporation you went online with, or, you know, if you want to align with your own self-interests, that's great too. Or, you know, whatever faction you choose along the way. And I think looking back on it, I think I enjoyed this retrospective looking on the story more than while I was actually playing it. (laughs) If that makes sense. I feel like, the story was really, uh, at least for my playthrough, it was kind of sparse. Like you had a lot of, you know, side missions and uh, what's it called? The markers that we we're trying to get rid of on the map. Like there's a lot of that oh, in the yeah. game. So it did drag at times. But having this, you know, look back on it, I do think back on it, you know, really well like i really enjoyed my time with it and i'm like actually really looking forward to the dlc as well yeah you know i'm I'm hoping we we see maybe some more you know fleshing out of, of some things and you know just give me any content you know <laughs> indeed uh someone else make something in the cyberpunk world because i'm really digging the world and the the politics you know almost of it and the the people and the corporations and just just like kind of seeing a a very possible future you know um but it 
yeah, I, I oh man. Sorry, I I don't really, like sometimes I don't know what, how to say what I want to say. I know. It's all good. <laughs> um, you know, I I think the story's done really well. I think the combat, you know, is fun. I I think it's it's enjoyable, but it's it's definitely not revolutionary. Yeah. So I think there were some safe choices that they made that maybe they could have pushed the envelope on. Um, and I feel like it really just needed more time. It really did. And then if it, if it had come out six months later, I mean, it'd be hailed as one of, I mean, one of the greatest games of, of our generation probably. Um, and, and unfortunately it will never be that. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. It always <laughs> because, have this you know, on its reputation. The stain, so to speak. Yeah, you you can't mess up a launch no. like that. You just can't. And I think that about uh, you know, wraps up what Cyberpunk really is. It's like a victim of its own marketing, and you know, it delivered. It tried to deliver these huge, huge promises, and it just ended up being not that. And it was ultimately a disappointment to a lot of people, mm-hmm. myself included. However, you know, with the Edge Runner anime adaptation you know, drumming up so much interest. And, uh, you know, alongside that, for me, that was what pulled me into the game. It took something like that to make me want to play cyberpunk. And I think that's ultimately its major criticism is that it couldn't do that on its own. Yeah. I, I feel like if you went into it like me with really no expectations, other than, I mean, I expected a buggy mess because that's what I was hearing. <laughs> but, you know, uh, if if you didn't really buy into the hype and and you weren't, you know, hanging out like, oh, man, I can't wait for Cyberpunk to come out because I've watched every video and read everything. And, you know, like I do that with other games, you know, like I'm desperately holding on to any Elder Scrolls 6. Oh, right? sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Cyberpunk meant nothing to me. So I think I I could go into it with a very very unbiased you know mindset, um, and I think it's a fantastic game, uh, and I I think it's very unfortunate uh, the reputation it will always kind of have attached to it uh, due to that loss. So do you think it's a redeemed title, kind of similar to say No Man's Sky? Has it redeemed itself? I would very much so say that, yes, I mean, it, it redeemed itself. If you're willing to kind of forget the, the 2020 December fiasco <laughs> um, and just play it for what it is, I, I think most people would have a really good time with and it. And I do agree with that. I think over the course of these last two years, you've seen the work CD Projekt Red has devoted to improving the game and making it playable and actually delivering on or trying to deliver anyway on what they originally promised so many years ago. And I think because of that's now found success and, you know, with this new DLC expansion coming out later this year, we don't have a date yet, but I think Phantom Liberty will continue to push that forward, that drive to success for them. And I really do hope it is well received for their sake because they need it really bad. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I hope that it's it's done right and it adds a significant enough of, amount of content be worth whatever price tag they put on it. Because obviously, you know, there's always that, right? You 
you put out a DLC and you say, okay, 30 bucks and you get into it. It's like, oh, okay, I paid 30 bucks for two hours of content and some cosmetics. People are going to be upset. Um, but I, and I know it's, it's probably early to say this uh, because they're desperately trying to save cyberpunk. But I do think if they take what they did and they learn from it, because let's not remember, or let's not forget, no one really gives a fuck about Witcher 1. You know why? Because Witcher 1 really I disagree. I think Witcher 1's a fantastic game. I do. Oh, man. I tried to play it when <laughs> it was new, and I thought it was the most atrocious combat mechanics it is. ever. You're um, right there. But I, I love the story <laughs> right, of it. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like the story well, was so good in Witcher 1. I think CD Projekt Red has proven that they can they can write a they can write a oh, story. Sure. Yeah. You know? I mean, the Red Dead franchise has done really well. The Witcher franchise. I mean, of course, the Witcher franchise is based on like real stories, uh, well, myths and stuff. But you know, I mean, they've they've done very well with it. Obviously, it's been very well received. And story wise, I think it's been pretty solid. Um, I I think if they learn from what they did wrong, and they take what they've done in Cyberpunk and build on it, you know. Yeah, make net running more interesting, you know, more fun. Um, give us a little more freedom in how we can build our characters. Take some of the unnecessary grinds out of things like athletics and stuff. Um, give us, yeah, some more implant options, right? I mean, obviously, the Mantis swords are cool. Um, but, you know, I was rolling around with a mm-hmm. katana, so it didn't really matter to me. And it's kind of like, but gorilla arms are kind of better anyway. So, because you need them for other things, you're like ripping off doors or the boxing missions, you know, um, you know, so like give us some more implants so we can kind of play around with, um, and, and I think if they can build on those combat mechanics and, and make the world feel a little more alive. I mean, I think a cyberpunk two could be really good. And they are discussing that they have announced that you know, it's on their minds that there's going to be a sequel to cyberpunk and, you know, taking the lessons learned from this first release, I think they're going to knock it out of the park. I don't want to give them too much credit here, <laughs> but you know, I'm not going to get nearly as hyped for it as I was for <laughs> cyberpunk 2077. And I think that's the key thing to keep in mind when, both playing this game and uh, reviewing it. So for this level up, uh, we're going to end it there. And uh, thank you again, Scott, for joining me for this discussion. I'd love really, you know, deep diving into cyberpunk and breaking down what we loved about it. You know, the surprising thing to me was how much I did value the story when looking back on it. And for you, I think it was more the presentation of the game that really struck with you. And, you know, going into that, you know, what can we see from CD Project Red in the future? Time will tell. But uh, again, thank you for joining me, Scott. Uh, Anytime. Any shout outs you want to give real quick before we end the show? <laughs> shout outs? I don't know. I'm not um, sure how to end this. Uh, thanks, uh, Lo-Fi Games, for working on Kenshi 2. Hey, Everyone should play go. Kenshi. Perfect. And uh, with that being said, you can watch this or listen to this on the geek freaks network podcast channels on my go-to is apple podcasts that's where i listen to all of our episodes and of course you can join us here on our discord where scott is a moderator 
and you know discuss with us what you liked about cyberpunk if there's more you have to say that we left unsaid let us know and until next time uh this is kyle and thank you for joining us have a good one see you later nerds